Well, again, kids, if you're staying up today, I'm excited to have you, and feel free to uh, grab an activity packet or uh, follow along with what I'm going to say, because we're going to be talking about something that everyone can do. We're going to be talking about prayer this evening. In his book, Practice Resurrection, Eugene Peterson writes, prayer is the cradle language of the church. This is our mother tongue. And that quote has the ring of truth to it. After all, any, read any of the spiritual giants from Teresa of Avila to St. John of the Cross to Luther to Calvin to Thomas Akempis, and you'll find a distinctive emphasis on the importance of prayer. In fact, none of these people who have done great things did these great things without having a rich life of prayer. Prayer is the language of relationship between humans and God. It's our heart language. And at the same time, I know you're all looking down right now. You don't want to make eye contact. At the same time, let me just put this out front. Prayer is difficult. Our desire to pray, it comes, it goes, and you might be thinking, mine left a long time ago and it hasn't come back. There's a mystery that surrounds prayer. I don't know, how should I pray, or, or how often, or what should I pray for, or why pray at all, or why is prayer so hard if this is our heart language? If you find prayer hard at times, or maybe most of the time, relax, you're in good company. Read any of those spiritual giants I talked about earlier, from Teresa of Avila to St. John of the Cross to Calvin and Luther and Thomas Akempis, and you'll find that they often write honestly about their difficulty maintaining their prayer life. In fact, one common theme I've noticed in reading these people who have journeyed a long time with Jesus is that the more mature they are in Christ, the more often they say about prayer, I'm just a novice. So take heart. If you feel like you're a prayer novice, you are in great company. Question is, where does that leave us? Prayer is an essential part of the the life of a follower of Jesus, and it's difficult even for the most seasoned traveler. So because we live in this tension of we ought to, or or it's good for us, and it's really hard to do, uh, I want to spend just the next two weeks exploring some different ways to approach prayer. And this evening, we're going to look at intercessory prayer. Why intercessory prayer? It's the one that you usually learn first when you're a kid. Intercessory prayer is when you go to God on behalf of someone else or on behalf of yourself. It's the prayer where you ask God for things like, Lord, when you're a kid, Lord, heal Aunt Susie's finger she smashed in the car door, or help me have a good day at school tomorrow, or help I have fun. These types of prayers that just boil out of the heart of our kids when they often pray. As we get older, the prayer get more adult, maybe, but necessary. Um, Intercessory prayer is still a staple of the Christian experience. We're called to pray for one another, to pray for those in positions of government, to pray for uh, the church and, and for those who are lost, and to pray for the sick of body and mind and soul. With so much pain in the world and so many people in our lives, I often feel overwhelmed by prayer. I simply can't pray for everyone all the time, neither can you. And sometimes it feels like I don't even know where to begin in prayer. Or am I praying God's will or am I praying my own will? There's about as many ways to intercede for people 
as there are people to pray for. But this evening, I want to offer us a prayer uh, from the Apostle Paul, one that you can use as a template not only to pray for yourself, but to pray for other people. Here's how it goes. You stand with me as we read uh, this prayer from Paul. It's in Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 21. If you are super familiar with this verse, I would encourage you to maybe to, to not read it and close your eyes and let it be heard by you. And then as I walk through the text in the sermon, you can take a look and make sure that I'm doing it right. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Holy Spirit and the inner person, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for this prayer. It's a prayer, Lord, that we receive from Paul, but also, God, would you show us how we can be prayers of this prayer for the people in our lives, individuals, and the church as a whole. Amen. You may be seated. Maybe that prayer is just a little too familiar for you. You've read it a hundred times. Maybe that was the first time you heard it, and you're like, it sounded like a bunch of words, blah, blah, blah. Um, this is such a prayer. In Greek, this audacious prayer is one gigantic run-on sentence, like there's no punctuation in between. It's just one blah, blurt of Paul. It's an overflow of his heart for the church that he loves so much. And I say it's an audacious prayer. In fact, that's the title of the sermon because it asks for so much. This is no, Lord, would you please, if it be your will, help me to get over this cold? Not that that's a bad prayer. I mean, if I'm a miserable person when I have a cold, I, I ask for that. This is, Lord, pour out the fullness of God into the very center of my being and into the center of the beings of my brothers and sisters. That's crazy big. What prompts Paul to pray such an audacious prayer? He says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. For what reason? Well, the answer to that question, for what reason, is, is given to us in chapters one, two, three, and a half, like right up into the beginning of for that reason. Here's a summary of some of the things that Paul might be on his knees about. Summing up the first part of Ephesians, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, chosen us before the foundation of the world, predestined us to adoption as his sons and daughters, redeemed us through the blood of Jesus, forgiven us, made us new through the mystery of his will, given us the Holy Spirit, raised Jesus from the dead, 
loves us, made us alive together in Christ, created us for good works to perform in his will, made us united in Christ through the cross. Whew, I'd be, that, that's a lot of stuff. Oh, also, uh, Paul says that in Christ we are chosen, God's own inheritance, Christ's body, once dead but made alive together in Christ. We are God's workmanship, one of his household, a living temple, the dwelling place of the living God is you. Uh, We are the manifold wisdom of God to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. That's just a summary of the things that Paul's talked about in Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 and a half. And that's why he's on his knees before God. And let's walk through the prayer together, pausing as we do to make some observations. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Paul is so overwhelmed with gratitude and humility uh, for all that God has done for him that he just falls to his knees. At the same time, Paul prays to God as Father. Of course, the term Father was meant to be an endearing term. God is relational. And in, in Paul's culture, fathers were not merely half of the child's DNA, with the mother being the other half, fathers were seen as the pater familias, the provider, the protector, the master of the whole family. Jesus himself prayed to his father and sometimes called him Abba, which is what sometimes a small child might uh, use, the term a small child might use when approaching a, a beloved father or a grandfather. For those of us who maybe have a harder time thinking of father as a Uh, a good term. Um, Maybe some of us have had experiences with fathers that make it difficult to think of God as father as a good thing. Um, I always like to think of Jesus because in John 14, uh, Jesus says that if you've seen me, you've seen the father. And when we we look at Jesus and focus on him, we see um, how he interacted with women uh, we, we see how much compassion he had, how he balanced his strength and his humility together, how he was full of joy. When we're seeing Jesus, we see what the Father is like. And if the Father is like Jesus of the Gospels, I can really trust that kind of Father. Part of praying this prayer uh, for others includes asking that they would come to know God as a gracious and loving father. Maybe you need to know, I would say we all need to know God as a gracious and loving father more than we do right now, even if you think you know him pretty well. But imagine the people in your life you could pray this over who don't have a clue how loved they are by God or who might have a problem with their dad or or, or with God for some reason. What if we began to pray that they would know him as a loving and gracious father? Even if God just answered that part of this prayer, that would be awesome. The point of this line is that we're not just praying into the thin air, wondering if anyone hears or if anyone cares. We are told to pray to the Father who created us and and loves us and hears us. So let's get to what Paul actually prays for. There are six main movements in this prayer, or as I like to think of them, six main building blocks that Paul uses to construct his prayer. Now, you've heard of build a bear, right, kids? You've heard of build a bear. We're going to build a prayer. 
You know what I'm talking about? We're going to build a prayer tonight. So there's some building blocks out there, and as we get to them, they're numbered as well. So um, I'll be calling for those different numbers, and we're going to come up to this table, and uh, I don't care how you do it, as long as it doesn't fall over, we're going to build a prayer, all right? So on the ground floor of his prayer, Paul's first building block is this, that God would grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner person. If you've got the first building block, looks like David does. David, you come on up and you can set. So there's two that are that size. Those are the biggest ones. You're setting the cornerstone, brother. There you go. Okay. Nicely done. Paul prays that we would be strengthened according to the riches of his glory. God's glory, by the way, if you ever wondered what that means, is the bundle of qualities that makes God God. It's the sum total of God's godness. Paul recognizes the inexhaustible riches of God's glory, and he appeals to it as if to say, what I am asking is bigger than the sum total of all human achievement, but it is well within the capabilities of you, Father. When we're praying for people, we may be overcome by the seriousness of their circumstances. Every time we pray for someone, we probably pray for them because whatever their condition is, is beyond what we can do to help them. I mean, if, if, if I could just help you and fix your problem, I would love to do that. But when I'm praying for you or you're praying for me, we're praying into things that we can't just fix. So we need that godness of the prayer. We might be praying for their depression or, or, or illness that's, that's too, too deep for uh, medicine to just fix like that. We might be praying for hardness of heart or deep-set fears. None of these things is too much for God, even though they're too much for us. And Paul prays that we would be strengthened with power. The Greek word for this word power is dunamis, which is where we get our word dynamic or dynamite even comes from the root of this word. It means power. It means explosive power. He prays that the Holy Spirit would give us this power in the inner person. The inner person, by the way, is another way of talking about the heart or the personality, the control center of the person. It's what makes you, you. It's the seat of our character. It's the thing that we are when no one else is looking. It might be nice to be strengthened with power in our hands or our arms or our legs or our back, right? It'd be pretty cool to be like Superman or, you know, extra strong. And, and that would be nice for some things. But physical power with a corrupt inner person is a recipe for disaster. And Paul knows better. And through his leadership, we are encouraged to pray that people would be strengthened with God's power in the inner person. The person in our life who is struggling with an addiction doesn't need to be stronger physically necessarily. They need the power, the dunamis of God in the inner person to break free. The person in our lives, maybe it's us, who's thinking about giving up on our marriage. 
or their marriage. Doesn't need good advice necessarily. Need power from God in the inner person to make a change. The person who lives with deep emotional scars from past abuse or horrible trauma, this person needs a strengthening from the Holy Spirit in the inner person, from the third person of the Trinity who is at creation hovering over the vast void of nothingness and spoke things into existence. That's the one from which this power in the inner person comes from. Uh, Needs the, the power of the Spirit who moved in Mary's womb And there was the incarnate Christ, and I need that kind of power in the inner person, amen? And that's the kind of thing that we are praying for other people when we pray this prayer over them. We need to pray to the one who who can make lasting change and has the power to heal. Who doesn't need to be receiving the power of the Spirit in the inner person? I mean, have you tried following Jesus lately? Like, it's really difficult to do in our own strength. I need the power of the Spirit in my inner person. Where might you need that power in your life? Or can you think of someone in your life? If you can't think of anyone else who needs that power, you're looking at one, so you could pray this prayer for me. I would gladly receive it. And you may not know this, but your leadership team often prays this prayer for the congregation. Uh, It's in one of our our prayer lists that we pray. So uh, you're probably getting this prayed over you um, at least once a month. The second building block, does anyone have that second building block? It has a number two on it. Oh, Joan, come on. Again, laying the foundation. Now that we know what this one says, maybe we can do it like that. Sure. Thank you. The second building block that Paul employs is that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith. We've already prayed that the power of the God's Spirit would strengthen us and our friends and our neighbors and the people we pray for, but now we go even further. Father, from the riches of your glory, may Jesus fill my heart and the hearts of those I pray for. Now, two quick theological clarifications. First, what if a person that I am praying for uh, doesn't follow Jesus yet? How can I pray this prayer? Does Jesus just come and take up residence in the heart of someone who doesn't follow him? Especially when the Bible says that Christ comes and takes up residence in our hearts through faith. If the person you're praying for doesn't follow Jesus yet, that's fine. This just became an evangelistic prayer. Lord, I pray that you would come take up residence in the heart of this person in my life who doesn't know you yet. I'll know that when you come and do that, that they will know you, right? So that's one way to look at this prayer. You can pray it evangelistically. Um, The second theological clarification is this. If I'm praying for someone who is a follower of Jesus, doesn't he or she already have Jesus in dwelling in their heart? Yeah, yeah, theologically, yes, we all do. In biblical Greek, there are two ways of saying dwell. One way is parakokeo, parakokeo. You can say it, parakokeo, okay, parakokeo. And that means to dwell as kind of a visitor. It describes the way a relative might come and stay a night or two at your house, maybe stay the weekend and then leaves. 
The other Greek word for dwell is katakokeo, katakokeo, which means to come and to take up permanent residence. This summer, like I know many of you, we've been trying to piece together childcare with different camps and things, and part of the uh, oh my gosh, the blessing in our life is to have my mother-in-law, Colleen, come and stay sporadically two days here, three days there, and, and to come help us watch the kids. Most recently, Corey's mom, Colleen, was staying up, uh, and when Colleen visits, we put her in our kid's playroom where we just like kind of vacuum and I actually killed like a really giant spider in there the other day. Oh, it's gross. Um, we have a Euro sleeper couch and we like put that down, put sheets on, and we kind of just stuff all the crap underneath the thing and you know it's clean it's sanitary but it's temporary because we know when she leaves the toys are coming back out and it's going to be trashed again when calling comes for a couple nights she is paracoqueoing she's temporary but what if she came for a long time what if she moved in with us what if she catacoqueo we wouldn't just then hide the junk underneath the bed. We would make permanent changes. We'd have to clean that room and organize it and put everything in a way that we could access it or move it or remodel or something. We'd have to make a major change inside that room. I think the reason we're not more full of Christ, more effective in ministry, more potent as the church is because we don't really let Jesus move in all the way. We love him to visit. And when we go to church, or we go to Bible study, or when there's a hardship in our life, we straighten up the junk in our hearts temporarily, and we, we watch what we say and how we act, and we put up a good front, vacuum the room. And I think sometimes, this is just a function of how the Western church has done evangelism a lot, we're too comfortable with saying, Jesus is in my heart, or just ask Jesus into your heart, which I'm not really sure we know the fullness of what that means. Is asking Jesus into my heart just a way of saying, God, take away my guilt and make me happy? Because I think that sometimes that's what we're perpetrating out there. But Paul's prayer is audacious. He prays that Jesus would come and katakokeo, take up permanent residence in my heart and in your heart and in the hearts of the people we pray for. We ask for the Father to help us remodel the home of our hearts to make room for the King. That means we invite Jesus into the dark areas and to ask him for help in transforming them. We invite him to work and to ask him to help us make choices that honor him and serve others and make the world better. It means we invite Jesus into our relationships and our romances and in our friendships. We ask him to give us true love for people and integrity and joy and patience. We ask him to rule in our inner person. That's a step more intimate than just asking for the power of the Spirit to strengthen us in the inner person. We're now asking the Lord to come live and actually be comfortable. Third block. Who's got the third block? Let's bring that up. And as Jim's bringing that up, uh, let me tell you what it is. Paul's third building block of his prayer is that out of the riches of his glory, the Father would have us rooted and grounded in the love of Jesus. Oh, bro, you gotta, can I just, well, I wasn't sure. let's go taller. Okay. Baker is Audacious, bro. 
Paul is so excited. By, if you're like an English major or something, you'll notice like, this is driving me crazy. He's mixing his metaphors. Uh, yeah, he is mixing his metaphors. Being rooted is an agricultural metaphor. Uh, you get the picture. Roots going down into the ground. Uh, maybe, it's, you know, you imagine a tree roots going down into like tapping into an aquifer. Well, this picture is your roots going down and tapping into like an aquifer of love. I guess that would be like an agape fur. Thanks. See how this really terrible. <laughs> I'm not a comedian. Yeah. The second is an architectural metaphor. Literally, it means to lay a foundation um, that we would be rooted, drawing up the love of Jesus, and that we would be grounded and anchored and built on a foundation of the love of Jesus. Could you benefit from such a prayer like that? I know you're not asleep. Could the people in your life benefit from being rooted in the love of Jesus and built on a foundation of the love of Jesus? Absolutely. Absolutely. Who's got that fourth building block? Torrin Frazier. What's your master plan, master builder? I like that. I like symmetry. All right. All right. Fourth building block, that we may be able to comprehend with all the saints, that's all the Jesus followers in time and space, uh, what is the breadth and length and height and depth. The object of this sentence is carried over from the previous one. It's the love of Jesus, that we would know the length and breadth and height and depth of the love of Jesus. That's like never-ending love of Jesus. The four prepositions, breadth, length, height, depth, describe the vastness of the love of Jesus. And the prayer is that we would comprehend this vast love. In English, comprehension kind of connotes this idea of understanding something cognitively. Um, when, when, my, when my kids are like showing off, the, uh, I just read this book in like five minutes, I'm like, okay, what happened on page four? You, you know, comprehension means you didn't just read it, but you remembered it, right? That's what we learned in school. Um, but that's kind of deceiving because in Greek, the word is katalambano, which means to grasp or to apprehend or to seize hold of. The prayer is that we would ask the Father by the riches of his glory that he would give us the ability not just to comprehend his love, but to apprehend the vast love of Jesus, that people, the, the people we pray for would receive this love of Jesus and be able to know it so deeply that they could grab hold of it. That's a different thing than just understanding something. Fifth block. Who's got the fifth block? All right, Kristen. Thank you. We could, we could move. Yeah, we could remodel. Yeah. Get ready for the king. All right. There we go. Great. Fifth block. To know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. Literally, to experience personally what is beyond our capability to know. To know the love that motivated Jesus to die on the cross to rescue us. To know firsthand the love he has for all things, for his creation and the creatures in it. Not just to seize the love of Jesus, but to experience it, making us new from the inside out. It's nothing short of asking that the people we pray for would experience the gospel of Jesus. What a prayer. Father, in 
out of the riches of your glory, help us, help those we love, help those we pray for to know the bottomless superabundance of your love. Isn't this a great prayer? It's only a few lines. You can pray this for people, and it is absolutely powerful. Sixth, who's got the sixth block? Mr. Jack, right. All right, as Jack's coming up, I just want to read what the sixth block is. Father, out of your riches, fill me, fill us, fill all we pray for. Nicely done. Fill all we pray for with your fullness. Fill us with your character, with your love, with your creativity, your wisdom, your purity, your grace, your beauty, your holiness. Did you just hear all that that Paul's telling us to pray for? Fill us with the fullness of God. Now, real quick, I just want to say we're not praying that we become God. As Daryl Johnson notes, filling a glass with water doesn't make the glass water. It's just filled with water. It's still a glass, right? But being filled with the fullness of God actually makes us more human. It's what we were designed to be from the very beginning. Sin has warped the way we think, the way we perceive the world, such that we fill ourselves with other things besides God. But we can pray for ourselves and for the people that we love uh, that we would be filled with the very life of God. That's pretty good. We've built kind of this tower of prayer with each step being a little bit more audacious than the one before. It's, so we get to this top piece that we're actually praying for ourselves and for other people that we would be filled with the fullness of God. But let's take a moment before we close to make three observations. First, notice the verbs in this passage. Almost all the active verbs in the passage are God's responsibility. We ask that God would grant and fill and strengthen and dwell the only active verb for us that Paul mentions, he doesn't even tell us to do it, it's just what he did, is that he bent his knees, that he knelt. The rest are passive verbs. We are the ones who receive. We're the ones who are filled. We are the ones who are strengthened. This prayer asks God to do what we cannot do. And that's the only kind of prayer worth praying, by the way. Like, you can do it yourself. You don't need to pray for it, right? But like, we're asking God to do what only He can do. Second, in this passage, notice the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Just, I always love to point out little theological things when you can. Paul involves all three members of the Godhead in this one short prayer. And we can too. When we pray this prayer or when you pray other prayers, our God is a relationship. Isn't that weird to think about? God is a really He exists as a relationship. He is Father. He is Son. He is Spirit. And when you pray this prayer, you involve the Trinity in your prayer. And third, notice, obviously, the audaciousness of the prayer. The impossibility of any of these, hap these things happening without the direct intervention of God. Notice how huge a thing it is that we are praying, which leads us to the question of how? How can any of this actually happen? This is craziness, which is where our seventh block comes in. Someone's got our seventh block. 
Oh. Yay, seven o'clock. Thank you, Jessica. Isn't that a nice, yeah. Jenka. Yeah, so next we're going to have people remove pieces. Jack, I totally like how you set that up. I didn't even ask Jack to do that, but that was sweet. The seventh piece, how is all this done is by, it's all by God's super abundance. His super abundance. Did you know Paul actually made up a word here, by the way? <laughs> His super abundant power and love and compassion and generosity. He closes the whole thing with now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. He's not only to do all that we ask or think but far more abundantly, super abundantly and not only all that we can ask or think, but all that we can imagine. I can imagine a lot. Oh, that's a Han Solo quote I just realized. Oh, that's awesome. But I want, <laughs> yeah, I want to uh, close by just praying this prayer over us. I mean, I just talked about how awesome it is. So I'm going to pray it over you. And then you can take it this week and it, pray it right out of your Bible for anyone in your life. One of the things I love about prayer in the New Testament, starting with the Lord's Prayer, is Jesus, if Jesus teaches us anything, it's to pray to the Father. Go for it. He's my Father. I'm telling you, you can do that directly. And you don't have to pray a lot to pray powerful, audacious prayers. For the reasons we've just read, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in the inner person through his Holy Spirit, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length, and height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church, and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen.